On this week's episode, we talk the SEC's new eight-game schedule for 2024 and some recent commitments from recruits and also a loss on one end as well. As always, I'm Cheeto, and with me is my co-host Keegan, and welcome back to another episode of Dogs Off the Leash. I do it for the dogs. So I feel like it always happens like this. We'll hop on a podcast and shortly after, not long, maybe next day, I think it was Thursday of last week when the SEC confirmed that in 2024, obviously we have Oklahoma and Texas joining the SEC, SEC soon, but officially as of 2024, we will have an eight game conference schedule. There will be no more East and West division wise. It will be the one division and the SEC just got a lot more interesting and things are going to change. Keegan, I was talking to you about it after the news broke. For example, it will just be the best two teams in the SEC that will play in the championship. So if we were talking last year, it would have been Georgia number one, Tennessee number two, because I believe they have the tiebreaker over both Alabama and LSU. So, I mean, who knows how it would have went? Obviously, we would have drummed them. There wouldn't have been any rain for Tennessee, so maybe they win, but I doubt it. But uh, a lot of changes are on the way, and it's uh, exciting to be a fan of the SEC right now. I think this could go really, really well. I mean, overall, you're you're expanding the conference. It's coming at a time when you're going into this expanded playoff realm, and you know, change is in the air. Now, change isn't always good, but I think if you can keep true to the rivalries that have made this league so prominent in general. And the reason that college football really stands out more so than the NFL, because for one, way more college teams for two, a lot of these games that mean so much are like obviously rivalry based and it goes farther so much farther than even like the most, you know, prolific rivalries in pro sports, just because there's that many more of them. And like, that's why the sec is so great. So it's like, at the same time, with all these changes happening, there's a reason we all love college football like we do. Like, I'm I'm, I'm 30 now, right? So, like, I'm still in this game. <laughs> hey, hey, welcome to the club, my boy. You know what I mean? Like, we get yeah. more mature, but we still, like, appreciate like, what, it, what it means for the culture. So, overall, I'm feeling like there could be unforeseen consequences. And speaking of, like, do you see how this, you know, could maybe take a turn for – maybe not the worst, but, you know, do you see the, some potential negative impacts? And how do you how do you see us walking? Like, if you're a commissioner, uh, Cheeto, which, you know, like, you are known to be. <laughs> right. But, you know, let's <laughs> say if you're commissioner of the SEC one day, right? So sure. what, what? how do you – how would you try to navigate that, you know, like not not throwing out every – the you know, the baby with the bathwater or whatever the saying is, but how, how, how do you go about that? So I guess there are, there are two ways you can look at this. Obviously – the model has worked in other conferences. We talk about how the Big Ten, uh, Michigan, Ohio State, they already do this. So the SEC, one, wants more money, and obviously there's going to be more conference play, less cupcakes. So I think the the average fan will learn to like it. But the big thing as far as championship goes, right, or championships go, will it positively or negatively influence the SEC when it comes to the playoff being expanded. Now, I think naturally, since it's going to be expanded, how do you not throw in probably the top four SEC teams, right? Like, 
who, who can you say is, is better? So we don't, there's always going to be unforeseen consequences and we don't know what that is yet. But as of right now, I don't see how this would be harmful, especially adding more competition. You add a Texas, you add an Oklahoma. How, when you're looking over resumes, like they play eight games in the hardest conference in the nation. I don't see that being a negative. Um, but again, there are unforeseen consequences for a reason. So we'll have to see, but I think overall it's a majority positive thing at this point. So TBD, but that's, that's where I stand right now. Yeah. I think like it definitely could go the right way with all these new, you know, for one, there's, if they expand to nine games, which I think they need to figure out a way to do that. I think that's the plan for the following year. It, yeah. That's the conversation right now. Yeah, and I know a lot of it's like about the money or whatever, but if they if they can do that and also find a way to keep more than just one rival, you know, like I feel like you need at least two, maybe at least maybe even three, you know, like some of these long-standing rivalries. I agree. What, keep maybe, keep that. Yeah, keep that for college football diehards. You know what I mean? Like like we're talking about when two teams cannot even be relevant, and it's a big game because of the rivalry. <laughs> like the teams could be like below five hundred in this right. game. You know, but it still means so much to both sides. You know, your bragging yeah. rights, just the and profitable, like and it's the, profitable. It's bringing in money, like economically, and all the ways that big games do. So, like you know, a a, a seemingly non-big game can be a big game because they care about the rivalry. So, if you get rid of that, I feel like you're not practicing good business. And since this is seemingly trending towards the dollar, you know, that's. But I don't even like talking about that stuff. It I just like watching football enjoying the sport, following our dogs, you know, like, For sure. there's, you know, it's good to keep up with on a level and it's good to, you know, spit the fodder. And obviously that's what we do here, but at a certain level, I draw a line and I'm just like, Hey, I'm just looking forward to the football aspect of it. So. And I think it's also worth mentioning too, that a bunch of leagues across the country are seeing expansion and mergers and changing. We'll hop into a little bit of the live stuff and PGA at the end of it, but you have these conferences within college football, college football as a whole is seeing a shift with NIL. You have the NBA looking at expansion teams in the very near future, whether it's Vegas or back to Seattle, a bunch of leagues, and again, a lot of it's money, but the the TV money and the exposure and the same thing with like esports, just these different avenues of sports and gaming is growing. So these leagues are having to change by necessity. So for the traditionalist, I hear you and I stand with you and like we don't want to lose what makes college football so great, but you have to understand that it's going to expand, it's going to change. And from a UGA standpoint, we're at the top of the mountain while there's change. That's the best place to be when changes versus like a struggling team trying to find their way to a championship or on the brink of, and then everything changes and you got to recalibrate again. Yeah. I I think one thing we can kind of maybe like focus on and just think about is that sports, I feel like the infrastructure of sports as a whole is changing. Like no matter what sport you're talking about, the, the younger generation is getting more sports specific, more sports science, more physics are coming into mind and, we're just getting more intelligent with sports period. Like the whole thing's just grown, but across the board, at least at, on any school level, call it a uh, pre-K to like graduate student, that whole age range for the most part, football pays for a lot of all the other sports like across the board. So, you know, like I think football is going to evolve because of, because it is such a main player. And unless all of a sudden uh pickleball or basketball comes and uproots that, for the money maker aspect of it, 
like, you know, maybe football gets, I mean, I've been thinking we should be playing with those like uh, pillow helmets. That's like, you know, protecting you from the outside. Like I see changes coming that maybe are warranted as far as just like safety in certain aspects, but like football as a whole is here to stay and the money's coming in. So I just think it's like good to, good to just like think about, you know, like even in the state of Georgia, because so many schools realize that football is bringing in the money, if we're, I'm going to be a prominent school, you know, I'm going to bring in uh, in a football team. And even in our state, we've seen both Georgia State and KSU and Georgia Southern, I mean, Georgia Southern more longstanding, but all these schools seemingly have bigger football programs than they've ever had. And I all see them. I mean, we, we could li- live in a day in 20 years where there's, you know, four teams from the state of Georgia in the D1 playoff, you know, for that year, because that's how prominent Georgia is as a state. And these schools are growing and, hey, they're going to be like in they're going to be SEC schools for we know. It. And honestly, like you're, you're <laughs> right, the change is coming. I just can't wait. You know, we're not that we're old, but we're, we're getting to the point to where I can't wait till down the line. We're the ones to be like, I remember when the University of Georgia <laughs> played in the SEC East. You know what I mean? Because that's that's kind of where we're Georgia that's where it's trending, like where we're going to be the ones remembering how the league used to be and how we grew up with it. Like y'all kids these days will never understand. You know what I mean? So like it's a it's cool to see that. But again, with the traditionalist, the traditionalist, you don't want to lose the essence of what makes college football so great. So I'm open for the expansion and the change. Just hopefully they they do right by the fans overall and not just the dollar. But you know how these things go. But um, all that aside, we there's a lot yet, lot left to be decided and a lot more discussions going around it. So we'll keep you guys updated as that moves along. Wanted to touch base on some recruiting news because ever since Georgia hosted their big June official visit weekend with all the five stars and all the prominent four stars, we have expected that this train is going to move fast. And there has been some wins already, but also some losses. And I know, Keegan, um, having you on the show has been nice because ever since, you know, Trevor Lawrence and before we've had this a little bit of a a little insight on Clemson and kind of their activity, especially when they're winning championships. So let us know kind of what you've learned on the Sammy Brown front, because officially as of June 5th, he has decided to commit to the university of Clemson. Yeah. Sammy Brown is an all in all seemingly transcendent player. Like as good as he seems and as big as the hype is for Sammy, I honestly feel like he deserves that number one ranking. Like he's not, overinflated the only thing i would want to poke a hole in maybe is that like jefferson high school isn't known for the most elite football in the state of georgia but like all in all sammy brown everything else checks out everything like i'm talking the tape i'm talking the numbers dudes you know blazing fast in the 40 uh he's like you know 6'2 230 and someone that I honestly think Georgia wanted, like a lot of times you can make up a story about why you didn't want this player. I feel like we wanted Sammy Brown, but at the end of the day, he went with Clemson and I feel like that's probably a good fit. And as good as they, they honestly do re- recruit a great front seven. I remember they got like Barrett Carter a few years ago. They've had other like elite players in and out of there kind of known for that in the Clemson culture. But I think he's going to a place where he's probably going to get more playing time. He's going to, you know, immediately see more of a leadership role and like Georgia just killed it by getting like three of the top five or six linebackers in the nation inside linebackers too I mean so yeah Yeah. it it makes sense it makes sense so yeah I mean on paper if he if he's trying to get you know the best for his career the most exposure the most everything else I feel like it's just you know it makes sense even geographically to go to Clemson so I don't like 
I'm not particularly uh, perturbed by it. And it's a big win for Clemson because dude, they, it's huge for Clemson. Like right now, they're in a, a position to where they're vulnerable as a program, even though they've built a lot of like longstanding things just in the nature of their league. They're a lot of their main competitors are like, you know, have been recruiting like kind of close to where Clemson is to where it's like on paper, you figure they could compete and then they're bringing in way more transfers and they have, you know, areas uh, like the, you know, the quarterback position already. Yeah. So Clemson, Clemson's in flux. They've added, you know, some offensive coordinators, like they're doing a lot of things this year's their big push. But to me, just, you know, from looking into researching the recruiting, kind of keeping up with it a little bit, I would say that they've been, you know, in that mid-tier recruiting range, which is where they honestly have been even when they've had a lot of success, but they've always had that transcendent player, you know. So they don't have that right now, and they they could use that in someone like Sammy Brown. So I feel like that's exactly what they need, but it might be too little too late as far as the timing of it all. What, what do you think? Yeah, and as far as recruiting, you make some good points. This is a big win for them. They, they have been one of the – uh, staple programs over the last few years and they've seen a bit of a drop off in success this is a, a huge get for them but for the clemson fans who are talking loud and the georgia fans who are disappointed for whatever reason georgia's 2024 class is still number one this pickup for clemson has put them i believe last i checked at number 17 so clemson number so they 10 also- yeah, so they also got someone else. Okay, uh, so they picked up another one. After, so they're top 10 now. But see, that so after this, Sammy, though, I believe it was 17. And then it looks like, you know, because uh, the number of recruits also impacts that as well. So that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. And, and just saying that, that this is the first top 10 class now for Clemson. There you go. Since 2020. Exactly. And, and their big gets, most, most of those guys. A lot of them have left, including you know DJ Uga Ugale or whatever. DJ so, U, I just I don't even try. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had it at one point and I lost it. I stopped practicing it every day on the toll. You got a little rusty, but yeah, I got a little rusty. But the thing is, is like Clemson is back in the game with this class, but they've because they're not taking transfers because some of their bigger players haven't panned out. They've recruited at a high. They've got a great culture. They got a great program. They got some great coaches now. And they've got plenty of studs like in, on the front seven. Some of their positions they've like kept at a high level. They've kept at a high level, but cohesively as a team, I mean, they're really <laughs> they're all about faith at Clemson. But they're going to need more than just prayers this season. And they're you know they're they're crossing their fingers with a lot going into this year, hoping it'll all work out. But that's enough on them. We have actually got some big wins, and even though. We may not have got Sammy Brown. We already mentioned, like, we are stacked at that position. Like, that might as well be a loss at tight end. Like, we are stacked. Like, I'm not saying we don't take the better, like, the best players we can, but at the end of the day, we're getting our guys, and we're getting our guys on the defensive end of the ball because we just got a big pickup, Cheeto. And I know you got a lot to say about this new guy. Tell us a little bit about Justin Green and how you feeling about the new defensive tackle we added to this already amazing number one recruiting class for our dogs yeah so we, it it's a it's great to be a georgia bulldog right now because after some people were really down about missing out on sammy brown to clemson june the 5th the very next day before you can even turn around justin green from lawrenceville <laughs> right now listed as a defensive and commits uh for a position of need at the university of georgia he was a player who we were looking at for a while but decided 
at some point that he needed to add some size, add some strength to really be an SEC caliber player. And he did just that. He was a four-star in-state in that Gwinnett area from Mountain View High School in an area where Georgia really, you would think it's Georgia's backyard that we would have a lot more success there, but we struggle getting players from the Gwinnett area. So this is a huge pickup for Trey Scott and the University of Georgia because if you look at one of the biggest changes that has put UJ in that contender championship contender tier it's been the improvement of the d line again listed officially as a d end but there's that's semantics right but the improvement of our d line and trey scott and the recruiting that he has done has really has really just put us on another level and again he is i believe the number 17th commit and what is already the number one class of 2024 and we are far from being finished keegan i don't know if you had um any opportunity to watch his film but it sounds like this is another explosive player who can really eat up blocks allows the linebacker allows the linebackers to fly around and make plays and that is the foundation of this defense that is what's been successful from Devontae Wyatt to Jordan Davis uh to Jordan Baby Hall who's there Jamal Jarrett to now Justin Green being another prototypical D-line player at the University of Georgia which will help push this class and classes in the future towards SEC championships and national championships. Keegan, any thoughts on this player? Well, it seems like the modern elite defensive tackle, you think of like someone like a Jalen Carter or someone like, you know, like Aaron Donald or just a lot of these molds are dudes that are a lot more athletic and lean, even though they're big, big frame, they have the rangy. Yeah, boy. Right. You know, so I think, I think it's good to, as a, I mean, just talking human biology without getting too crazy as a project, if, if you're trying to work on your body and you want to add a little bit of muscle, you know, versus like lose, a, you know, put on a little bit of muscle and lose a ton of fat. It's just a lot harder to do that overall. And he's put himself in a good position to where, you know, he's got that athletic build and he can really just, if he adds like 15 pounds of muscle, dude, he's in that top tier shape. He's lean. Like he's, it's going to like really help his career overall. And that's, you know, watching the tape, you talk about the explosive play. He's going to have the size to go with that. I mean, I'd I'd argue he might already, but at the same time, you know, if, with this program, that's one of the things about it. It doesn't really matter where you're coming in at. You get in a system like that with that level of consistency, with that kind of competition. I mean, it doesn't matter what you're talking about. That's why people love CrossFit gyms, right? Georgia is no different. You join that kind of tribe, and now the level of performance really speaks to that. So I know Georgia got a dog. And, uh, you know, it's like Georgia really needed a defensive line commit because we've had some attrition at the position, mm-hmm. you know, and and we got some young guys uh, long standing here that are probably going to add to that, you know, hopefully add that veteran layer next year. But, you know, it's a great get for us. I mean, shoot, we've been talking about the offensive players. So, hey, it's good to go back to the roots. Georgia gets another elite dog. And, uh, you know, I, I'm just excited. Trey Scott just keeps putting it on. And, you know, I know for us – We've been talking a lot the last couple of weeks, me and Cheetah, about these relationships and what they mean. But Cheetah, just elaborate what you think this means for uh, for the dogs and just, you know, Trey Scott's ability to to kill it on the recruiting trail at, at a high level and take these guys that, hey, sometimes they even throw doubt on them. Sometimes they say they're even three stars and we'll, we'll send them to the NFL when Trey Scott gets to them. Yeah, no, for sure. And I want to talk about Trey Scott, uh, especially because the most recent commit is um, a position that he coaches and recruits. 
Um, but he he is just a part of a, a giant machine that is just absolutely rolling right now. So as far as Trey Scott in particular, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, the D-line position, nose tackle, uh, D-line overall has really changed this university. You go again, go back to Jordan Davis, Devontae Wyatt, uh, Big Baby Hall, who's here now. I mean, the list goes on and on to people who've been drafted and people who have played significant snaps this year. We may not have Jalen Carter this year. We may not have like the superstar, but these are like the twos and the threes that have waited their time. It's quality depth and it will have so many people rotating. A lot of them will get an opportunity at the NFL. I don't think we have like the number one crazy guy that we've had the past two years, but they'll be well coached. And on top of that, let's just run through the defensive coaches and what I was telling Keegan kind of as we were talking leading up to the podcast is this staff is beyond elite. And the where you're seeing their performance is either their production of their players on the field, their recruiting is at an all elite, all world level, or they're a seamless fit for the University of Georgia, meaning that they have good ties here in the state of Georgia. And there's a lot of youth mixed with a lot of some veteran coaches. So it's a it's a great mix across the board. Starting with Fran Brown, Fran Brown, the DB coach, you have guys like Jonel Aguero who was uh picked up last year who is always showing already showing flashes on the field. Ellis Robinson, five-star DB from this year. Peyton Woodyard. You have Kadira Uzo Deribe, the outside linebacker coach. Whereas maybe our defensive our outside linebacker sack numbers haven't been as high as they have been in other years, there's a lot of production in the outside linebacker room. Samuel and Pimba is going to be huge for us. Damon Wilson, fans are already raving over him. He's a young guy who is a great recruiter from TCU, who obviously helped us in the game plan when we slaughtered TCU. And then obviously you have Glenn Schumann and Will Muschamp, who have just been above and beyond. Will Muschamp focuses a lot on the DBs. And then we talked about Sammy Brown, who went to Clemson, in big part because Glenn Schumann just helped sign one of the most elite inside linebacker rooms that you will ever hear of in Bowles, <laughs> Wilson, and CJ Allen. So, I mean, the list goes on. Throw in Scott and then Kirby, the defensive guru who oversees it all. So every position coach pulls their own weight and pulls it in with such a heavy hand. That's why this defense has been number one in whatever area you want over the past two, three years. Even before the championships, it was success 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 and that comes from kirby's time as an assistant knowing what to look for in the assistance that he wants on this staff um keegan as far as the defense like what do you like so much about the staff again either their production their recruiting or their fit to the university like anything that stands out to you and then i, I want to hop over and talk about the offense as well well i think we have so many people just bought into the georgia brand uh you know like hearts in georgia hearts in athens dudes like will muschamp leading the leading this whole thing with, you know, his experience as a bulldog, uh, you know, coming, coming from like high ranks to being a head coach and having the experience all in all. And I feel like what Georgia is doing really well is mixing, you know, there's only a few people really, you know, a small percentage of the, of the good coaches, a lot of good coaches out there that are going to be qualified for these elite level jobs, just on paper. Like these, these, there's a, there's a smaller window, but when you can add on, the relationship factor, the love for Georgia, the kind of like inspired loyalty that just helps the recruits buy in. It is a different vibe. And one thing I can say that when Clemson was at their peak, you know, we talk about Clemson, they had a lot of guys who had been coaching there for a long, long, long time. You know, that whole time that they were just kind of average and they were getting kind of dunked on in the media about, you know, falling short or whatever. Clemson. Their whole thing, 
yeah, yeah, Clemsoning. A lot of those guys, you know, fought through that adversity. They were real tight, had a ton, you know, a lot of staff that had a lot of con- continuity. But like Georgia has built that and really done it at an even more elite performance level at with even more talent on the field and, uh, you know, probably way more competitive locker room and just an environment of mixing the good vibes with the professionalism, you know, that you had at like, at, say, in Alabama, where a lot of people say, you know, maybe Nick Saban's getting warmer now, but he kind of had a reputation for being a little cold. So that's just like the word on the street. So, and that, you know, it's more like a factory there. So if you can have the factory vibes and the family vibes, you know, that's a, that's a good mix. And Georgia's done a really, really good job cultivating that. And I'm excited to see us potentially, you know, eventually the Glenn Schumans are going to go other places. Maybe even dudes like Will Muschamp will, you know, get offered big jobs, you know, in some of these, he, he might get offered Florida again. I don't know. Like the changes will come and jobs will be offered, but if we can continue to take the linebacker coach that I can't pronounce his name that well, uh, uh, Kadir, Kadir. Thank you. That's easy to pronounce. I just couldn't remember it. So, you know, he, you know, he could be the next DC, you know, after he, like, if we do this right, we're going to promote with within and we'll, you know, have that next tier, but you know, that's another, uh, that we'll do that podcast in 2025, but either way, Georgia's got a great thing rolling and it's, you know, with the success and the, and the good vibes and all the friendships and relationships and this recruiting trail, Hey, we we're going to probably add a few more guys. So it's not over. And that doesn't stop with the defensive side of the ball. The exact same thing goes with the offense. You have Stacy Sorrells, the offensive line coach, who is a UGA veteran. He's bringing in players like Monroe, Marcus Harrison, and, he hasn't been here as long, so he's currently developing the offensive line that we have now, who's looking to take a step further and be the best offensive line, even though I would argue they've been that for a while. Uh, Brian McClendon, another UGA vet, was at Oregon for a while. A lot of people think he's one of those coaches that's ready to take that next step and be an, uh, not even an offensive coordinator. He's been that. He's ready to be a head coach. Obviously, the wide receiver room is trending up. Lad McConkey's getting a lot of buzz. Um, the transfers coming in and the talent that we already have in-house look for a big season from the wide receiver receivers Dell McGee personally one of my favorites I mean we have had superstar after superstar after superstar in that running back room he has been consistent he does his job well he probably is deserves a lot more money and a, a big promotion he goes about his business an Auburn alum but he loves the University of Georgia as much as anybody Todd Hartley what can't Todd Hartley do our tight he is the best tight end coach and recruiter in the country not even close I don't even know who who to put with him. Brock Bowers, Jaden Riddell, uh, Pierce Sperlin, Lawson Lucky. I mean, the list goes on. We are set at tight end, and a lot of that, Darnell Washington, and a lot of that has to do with Todd Hartley. And then last but not least, we went from Todd Munkin, who's more of an X and O's and developer guy, to Bobo, who is, I mean, he's a recruiter. You have Matthew Stafford. You have Aaron Murray. Um, I, I, I don't love Bobo's scheme, but now he's got, the foundation of what Todd Munkins put here. So that should really help him, but you cannot say he doesn't develop. And then obviously Dylan Riola is a product directly of Bobo's relationship with Matthew Stafford, whose relationship with Riola's father. So as, as, if you look at that list, every single position coach on this staff is elite with their production, their players production, their recruiting is all world or their seamless fit with good energy, either a veteran or the next future coach like Dan Lanning, who was here during the championship year and went straight to Oregon. That's what yeah. Kirby's assembled. And it is, it's, sh- it's bleeding through everything. And that's why Georgia's just on a different level right now. But 
just wanted to give all these coaches their credit because we we get lost in the players and the wins and the championships, but that's where it starts. And other than that, before we run out of time here, I just wanted to talk a little bit about what's going on in the rest of the sports world. Um, Braves are at or playing the Mets right now at home. Big win last night, but we got Scherzer coming up, and then they have a forget who the other pitcher is who's going to be tough to get wins but that's the midweek slate and then the nationals this weekend so a chance for the braves to really uh pick up some more wins during the homestand and then the nba finals are currently tied at one and one with the heat picking up or getting on fire from the three keegan any thoughts on the braves or the nba finals right now that you'd uh, love to throw out for our listeners Hey, that's where I said, you know, the heat, if they got the shooters, I mean, if if they can if they can tap into that. You've been and, calling it, bro. I'm impressed. Like you've been on it. Like hey, you've been hey, on it, on it. I, I know what I'm talking about. I don't really? say I don't I can't I don't elaborate and tell you even more, so I'm not wrong. But hey, <laughs> I, I think I think if they keep playing that game, but that's the thing, that game is not sustainable. At the end of the day, like it, it might be a higher percentage point, Absolutely. but it's not a higher percentage look. And you got you got the Joker. You know, get him in the paint. That's that's the look that's going to dominate this whole thing. So you know, I I still lean Nuggets, but hey, well maybe Miami's going to push it, and we got we got a great game tonight. So nice. And also on top of that, we have uh, obviously the huge news with PGA and the Live Tour combining and merging. And I said this to people who talked to me just kind of personally. I did. I'm not a huge golf guy, but I'm really trying to get into it. The people that are pulling the holier than thou thing, you guys that are like, oh, why are we taking Saudi money? The same people who buy Nike, who have sweatshops all over the world, same people who right. have lithium batteries in their iPhones. That, like, listen, tweeted tweeted social justice on a listen on, uh, child labor. Like, listen, listen, guys, m- money talks. This is better for golf. It's a bad look for PGA because they started off like, well, nine eleven, Vic. Like, not downplaying that, but like, listen, it's a bad look. Golf is better now as a as a merged entity. So. Good for golf for doing that. And then lastly but not least, a huge breaking story. Lionel Messi has foregone $1.25 billion to play for Saudi Arabia, speaking of live, and is coming to the MLS in the Inter-Miami to pull a David Beckham. And uh, that is going to be great for the MLS. I know I'm going to go try to see him. Speaking of, Atlanta United has a game tonight. So lots of news, and it's been great. Uh, Keegan. Man, why can't why can't we get Messi to play for the United? You know? ah, if only, man. But that's beautiful, though. That's beautiful. We'll see how that works out. But Keegan, I appreciate you. Dog Nation, always a blast. And as always, guys, you know what it is. I do it for Off the, the leash. Off the leash.